Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, we are in week two of a new series called Starting Point. And last week we talked about how everything has a starting point. I mentioned that your education, my education had a starting point, right? It probably started in pre-K or kindergarten. And uh, I also mentioned that uh, your freedom, including mine, had a starting point. In fact, my, my freedom began when I got my driver's license and my mom handed me the keys to the car. And I had probably been driving for a little less than a year when I bought my own car. And it was a 1986 Firebird. Now, this is not the exact car, but it looked just like this. It was cherry red T-tops, and it was amazing <laughs> and super fast. And uh, there I am, 16 years old, driving this incredible car. And I remember one night after youth group, I had a great idea. And it's nighttime, and I, and I wondered, how fast does this thing go? And so I'm driving on the highway, and the speed limit is 70 miles per hour. And uh, something you need to know about this car is that the speedometer only reads to 85. So there I am, cruising along at 70 miles an hour. And I'm like, all right, let's just bump it up a notch. Then we go 75, 80, 85. And this thing is handling like a dream. And there's nobody on the highway. And I just decide, okay, let's full send it. So I push the gas pedal all the way down to the floor, and it goes past 85. And it's coming back around to zero. I have no idea how fast I'm going, but it feels incredible. Do not try this at home. I am cruising. I mean, if this thing had like suicide doors that could open up as wings, I would have taken off. And eventually, I'm like, okay, that was, that was really fun. Let's back it off. I slow it back down to 70. I go about a mile. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see in my rearview mirror lights. <laughs> woo, woo, woo! I'm like, oh. So I pull over. And uh, I don't know why police officers ask this question, but he asks, sir, do you know how fast you're going? <laughs> I could honestly tell him I had no idea. I didn't tell him any other details about what I thought I might have been doing. And then he proceeded to tell me that I had been pulled over by five state troopers. I almost peed my pants. <laughs> because I thought for sure I was going to jail. And I said, sir, it was a huge accident. It was a mistake on my part. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't say that at all. I didn't say a word. I was 16. I thought my life was over. But was that what it was? Was it just a, a big accident? Was it a misunderstanding? Was it a mistake? Or was it something bigger than that? You see, sometimes we, we find ourselves making these, these mistakes, right? But the thing about a mistake is a mistake has to do with insufficient knowledge, right? I didn't know how to do something. I didn't understand how something worked, right? But sometimes, sometimes 
we make a mistake on purpose, don't we? Right? You you think a mistake is, okay, I, I got distracted. I didn't know how to do this. But let's be honest. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew the speed limit wasn't a suggestion. I clearly knew how the gas pedal worked. I clearly knew I wanted to test this engine and see what it could do. But sometimes we make a mistake on purpose, right? And we've seen people. We've, we've seen politicians or professional athletes get in front of a camera and they confess this huge mistake and they're going on and on and on. You're like, buddy, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what it is, but it's clearly not a mistake, right? And you know people, maybe they've had a relationship with someone that's not their spouse. It's gone on for five years, or you've heard about people in the news embezzling money, stealing money from their company. It's gone on and on and on. You're like, buddy, that wasn't a mistake. I don't know what it was, but it was so much bigger. And we planned this, right? Sometimes we plan our mistakes. But is there really such a thing as a premeditated mistake? Is that a thing that you thought about it, you planned it? Here's the thing I notice about me. I don't know if this is true about you, but sometimes I make, sometimes we make the same mistake over and over and over again. What do you do with that? What, what is that? Here's what you do with a mistake. Here's, here's what a mistake is, right? A mistake is when you're driving, you're, you're looking at your GPS, you get a text on your phone, you just quickly glance down, or you see something on the side of the road, and instead of taking a left turn, you take a right turn, and all of a sudden, you've got to go back and redo that turn. Or you're in school, and, and you're trying to work out the math problem, you're not really sure, you're just taking your best guess, you do the best that you can, and you make a mistake, Right? You're trying to keep track of your bills, trying to keep track of your checking account, you're, you're balancing numbers, you forgot to add something or you added something incorrectly. That is a mistake. When you make a mistake, you correct it, right? That's, that's what we do with a mistake. But here's the question. Here's the problem. You and I, we can't correct you, right? We try. That's the problem with me, at least, right? I, I've tried to correct me. You've probably worked on you. You've probably worked on correcting you over and over and over again. And that's the big problem. You have struggled and fought and worked to correct you. I have worked and fought to correct me. And is there something bigger that's going on inside of you, that's going on inside of me, that if we pull back the curtain on that, we could figure out, hmm, what if something really could change and it's bigger than mistake? If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Uh, while you're turning there, I'm gonna give you a little bit of the background. If you don't have a Bible, we're actually gonna put the text on the screen, but Jesus is sitting on the, the hillside of this mountain, and he's talking with his disciples, talking with his, his apprentices, and he's talking about what does it look like to walk by faith? What does it really look like to live out the things that you believe? And he starts talking about being salt and being light 
And what does it look like to fulfill the law and the application of being a Jesus follower? And then he gets to this topic of murder. And he says, there's something so much bigger going on inside of you, inside of me. So here we are, Matthew chapter five. I'm gonna start reading in verse 20. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's a big statement. Your righteousness, unless your righteousness, unless my righteousness is better than the teachers of the religious law. Some, some uh, translations say scribes. Those were the people that wrote down the Old Testament. They wrote it down over and over and over again. They studied it. They were meticulous about the law. They were the authorities. They knew God's word inside and out. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless my righteousness is better than the experts. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm listening. I'm going, man, I don't stand a chance. Should I walk out right now, Tim? I'm done. Or the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like this elite group, the religious leaders. They separated themselves from everybody else. They were like the who's who. And so Jesus is making a point here. Unless you're better than the experts, unless you're better than the elite group of Jews, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> they would have heard that and thought, well, I'm doomed. I've got nothing. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 21. Take a look at this. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Jesus, Jesus, I've never murdered anyone, so I think I'm good. Sit down, hold on to your seat, buddy. Verse 22. But I say, right? Jesus says, you've heard, don't murder, we're good. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, no one said that in this room. You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus has taken murder and he says, okay, we know this is wrong. Don't take anyone's life. Just don't do it. Everybody agrees on that. And Jesus takes that a step further and he says, you know what? If you've been angry with someone, you have murder in your heart. Whatever word you use, whether it's anger or I'm mad, annoyed, ticked off, right? You got a whole bunch of words you probably use because they sound better. I'm not really angry with you. I'm just annoyed, right? Doesn't that sound better? You know, I'm not angry. Now that you say angry is like the same as murder, I've got a different word for that. And Jesus says they're really equated. That those feelings, those emotions of anger, of frustration, of being ticked off, those lead to murder. They go down the same place. I know they have 
Very different consequences. I understand that. Jesus is not saying they are exactly the same. But he's saying, when I'm angry with someone, when I get mad at my kids or my wife or somebody cuts me off in traffic and I get angry with them, Jesus says it's murder in my heart. And before they can even catch their breath, he says this. Drop down to verse 27. He says, you've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. Right? They, they all knew that. Don't commit adultery, to which they probably said, well, I've not done that either, Jesus. And then he says this, verse 28, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In which they might have said, Jesus, are you serious? Wait, is my wife here? Wait, wait. Are you saying that if I desire somebody who's not my spouse, that I've already committed adultery in my heart? Jesus is, is making some incredible statements here about anger, about lust, about desires. All of those are going on in our heart. And so the question is, are, are we simply just big mistakers who make mistakes, who have accidents, who need redos, who need to just hit the reset button, maybe a couple times. And maybe you're here today and you came, you're not even sure why you came. Somebody invited you, but your life has gone off the track and you just need a do-over. And we're talking about that. This is the starting point. Last week, we talked about the starting point of our faith is the resurrection. And that's good news because we have a problem and it's far bigger than just being mistakers. See, Jesus raised the bar. Jesus raised the bar and he raised the standard so high that no one could make a passing grade. Why did he do that? Well, why did he say, here's the standard? Because these religious leaders, these scribes, these authorities, they're listening to Jesus talk and they're going, yeah, but I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I am all about what I have done. Jesus, look at me. I fast twice a week. I tithe on everything that I have. I'm given to the synagogue. Look at all the things that I do. I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. I've never done that. And Jesus says, let me just pull this back a little bit. Here's the standard. Yeah, you're right. You've never killed anybody. You're right. You haven't cheated on your spouse. But the standard is so much higher. And we want to think that this is no big deal, that I just made a mistake. This is just an accident. But the reality is we've minimized that so much that we don't even see that in our own lives. The people listening to this, they don't really understand this. Right? They're struggling to keep, keep up. And, and Jesus says, okay, I get it. Let me, let me just share a story. Let me share a parable with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up a story in fact, I'm going to make up three stories, hopefully to teach you one big idea. 
So in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sits down with these religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees and all these people who think they've got it all together. He says, let me share a story. So Luke chapter 15, he talks about a parable of a lost sheep. He talks about a parable of a lost coin. And then he goes into this really famous story about the prodigal son, the lost son. So Luke chapter 15 Verse 11, this is what Jesus says. To further illustrate the point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please, Take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You get the picture? This boy goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Whatever you have in the bank, whatever it was going to be my inheritance, just give it to me now. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. How do you think that made his dad feel? Dad, whatever part of the land you were going to give me, whatever property, whatever animals, whatever stuff, whatever cash you got on hand, liquidate it all and just give it to me. And his dad goes along with it. And you see, Jesus' point, or one of the points he's driving home in this story is that even though he's making this story up, the people represent people right there in the crowd. That this boy represents some of the people listening to this story, the people who had totally blown up their life. I mean, total, a, made, a major catastrophe of their living and their lifestyles. People who have totally messed up so badly they could never repair it. That's who the son represents. And the father in this story represents our heavenly father. And so this boy takes the money, whatever money he gets, he goes off to Las Vegas and he goes to these parties, he goes drinking, he's hanging out with all sorts of women who are not his girlfriend, certainly not his wife. He's doing all sorts of things, right? Just spending his money, just poof, it's gone finds himself in this situation where, dude, I got what was coming to me. I'm in a hot mess. 
young Jewish boy, now working the farm, dealing with pigs, which he wasn't supposed to be dealing with. Now he's feeding the pigs, wishing, I wish I had the food that the pigs are eating. I'm so hungry, I want to eat pig food. And he has totally blown up his life. And he realizes that. And he comes back home. And not only does he come back home, but his father is watching for him, looking for him, waiting for him, maybe even thinking today is going to be the day. And it says that his father had compassion, filled with compassion, he ran to his son. That's really, that's really significant because wealthy Jewish men, wealthy men from the Middle East didn't run anywhere. And if you're a wealthy person, you don't need to run anywhere. You have people run to you because you are that type of person. Back then, men would have worn long robes that would have gone all the way down to their ankles. And so it was just a big disgrace for a man to show too much leg. Okay, it's still a disgrace to show too much leg, guys. <laughs> I don't care how big your quads are. We don't want to see it. Anyways, he's filled with compassion, sees this, and he doesn't just like trot out. He doesn't jog out. He full out sprints towards his son, picks up his robe, and just runs as fast as he can. That's a picture of our Heavenly Father. And no matter what you've done, whatever's happened in your past, whatever's happened to you, whatever choices you've made, when you come to the Father, He is filled with love and compassion for you, and He runs towards you. But notice the words in verse 21. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned. He didn't say, hey, dad, I made a big mistake. I got in with the wrong crowd. I got this job and I was working for this guy and things didn't really work out the way that I was planning. Um, any chance you got some more money? Anything? I have sinned. I'm not just a big mistaker, but I've sinned against heaven and my father. I've broken his law. I blew it. I've made a disaster. He owns everything. He's not blaming anybody else. He's not saying, if you had just given me more money, he's not blaming the guy that he worked for. He's not blaming his friends that he got caught up with. He's taking all of the ownership himself. But how many times do we make choices like that and we go, ah, I just made a mistake. I'll fix it next time. My bad. Sorry. But he, he owns it. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Dad, I have sinned against you. Father runs towards him and embraces him. But notice what happens next, verse 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe. Now, 
Who do you think in that house had the best robe? The father, right? <clears throat> That's my assumption. Text doesn't say that. That's my best guess. Get the best robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger and sandals for his feet. This is all significant. My boy is back. Take the best robe, put it on him, clothe him, take a ring. That's a sign of authority. He is my son. The servants, the slaves, they didn't have shoes or sandals. Get something and put it on his feet. He is my boy. He's home. That's what happens when you and I run to the Father. He sees you. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're in the family. No matter what's happened, when we go to him, we say, Father, I have sinned. And I'll tell you, besides making things right with your heavenly father, this is the best way to restore relationships. When you sin against your spouse or your kids or your parents or, or anybody for that fact, and you go to them and you say, you know what? What I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. How I treated you was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then you just shut your mouth, right? No, hey, if you hadn't have said this, if you hadn't yelled at me, if you hadn't done this, no, just own it. And that's what he does here. Then he says, and kill the calf, right? Kill, kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Why? Because this relationship has been restored. I want to tell you, if, if you're new here or, you, or you're visiting for the first time or maybe your second week or third week, whatever, that's why we celebrate with carnations every week. When somebody comes to Jesus and they say, Jesus, will you be the forgiver of my sins? Jesus, will you be the leader of my life? We celebrate that decision. That's amazing. That's a biblical thing. That's what we do because God was celebrating that. Because we're not just mistakers. Because if it was a mistake, we could correct it. But this is far bigger than anything that you or I could correct on our own. But look at verse 24. For this son of mine was dead. And now he's returned to life. He was lost, and now he's found, so the party began. Man, that is incredible. My son was, was lost. He was dead, but now he's back. I knew where he was. I knew he was alive, but that relationship was severed. He was dead to me, and now he's back. And that, that problem, it's not a mistake. It's called sin. And something you and I do over and over and over again. And it's not until we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned. Will you forgive me? That that relationship is restored. Here's the point. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin is restoration, not condemnation. He wants to restore that relationship. 
And so if you're here and you're checking out this Christianity thing, you're checking out Bridgewater, you're just trying to figure this out, the starting point for our faith is the resurrection. And the reason that is so important is because Jesus died for our sins and he rose himself from the grave. He conquered sin and he conquered death so that you and I have this problem that needs restoration, not condemnation. That's why Jesus came. And you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, that was a great talk, Tim. You did a great job. I could tell people were really listening. You connected some dots. I'm not really sure about this, this whole Jesus thing. I understand. It's week two of the series. But hang on for a little longer. And if you're here and you're questioning faith, you're questioning Christianity, you're wondering, is this thing for real? I'm challenging you. Ask God. Okay, God, if you're real, if this is for real, let's test the waters. Let's come all eight weeks. Let's just wonder. Let's, let's be curious. Let's, let's start that conversation and see what might God do in my life. But today I want to leave you with a question. It's part of our application. Here's the question. Do you need restoration with God? Do you? Where are you at with him? Where's your relationship? Because every single one of us are on this journey. You're somewhere on this journey. You might be questioning. You might be doubting. You might be right there on the edge thinking, is this possible? Can he really forgive me? Is, is restoration going to happen? And maybe you're here Here's the second thing maybe you need to consider is, know this, your sin doesn't define you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith in him, here's the reality. You have been forgiven. He wiped away all that debt. You are clean. You are fully pleasing to you. That's not your identity. You still sin, right? You were a sinner, but now you are are someone who fights sin on a regular basis. God looks at you and he says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're forgiven, you're blessed, you're blameless. You are holy. That's how he sees you. Thirdly, I would say, own your sin. Don't dress it up. Let's stop calling it a mistake. Let's say, hey, here's, here's the deal. I'm gonna call sin sin in all my relationships, in my marriage, with my kids, with my coworkers. They don't understand Jesus. I mean, maybe I'm not going to call it sin, but I'm going to say, hey, I did that. That's on me. I'm going to own that. No longer shifting blame. Last week, we ran out of these books. How good is good enough? We have a handful left. If you didn't get one, you'd like one. We have those back at the Welcome Center. Those are there for you. But here's what I want you to know. When I, got, when I got pulled over, I didn't make a mistake. I broke the law. I got a ticket. And that ticket was several hundred dollars that I had to pay. I didn't have a great job. I was busting tables. I had to bust a lot of tables to pay that ticket. When you and I when we sin, we break God's law. You don't have to pay for that. He already paid for it. 
Restoration is possible. It's there, right there for you. We simply come into the throne room and say, Jesus, I've sinned against you. Will you be the forgiver of my life and the leader of my life? Because I need restoration. If that's you today, don't leave without talking to anybody. If you're embarrassed, come talk to the person you came with or you're sitting next to you or me or Keith or whoever. We'll go off into a, a side room or you can just email me. But don't leave today without figuring that out. Let me pray with you. God, you are the one who makes restoration possible. We know that we have made a mess. Sometimes we make it over and over and over again. I know there's people coming in from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of questions. And it's my desire that you would meet them right here where they're at today. They would be able to run to you and you would run to them and embrace them with love and compassion. No matter where they are, they would be able to say, you know what, it's time to hit the reset button, starting over. We pray that you would draw people close to yourself today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.